in this message series where we're looking at really three stages of, of prayer. And the most basic stage is when we come before the Father and ask. We make our requests known. And that is healthy and wonderful and very appropriate for us to do that. But as our prayer lives mature, we move to that next stage that we're calling seeking. It's then that, that we, we begin to seek the Lord. It's not so much that we're asking for things as much as we're coming into His very presence. We, we enjoy being simply with God. Last week we said that, that prayer is a means, or rather prayer is not a means to an end. It is the end in and of itself. It means that we long in prayer just to be in God's presence so that we might grow closer to Him. We're not desperate for something, but as people we come to understand, as followers of Jesus, we come to understand we're really desperate for someone. We need a Father. We want to be in the presence of our Father. It's here that we begin to seek God, not merely because God is useful, but because God is, is beautiful. God is wonderful. And so when we come to understand this about prayer, I'm convinced that our prayer lives take on a, a whole new dimension. I love the scripture that Curry read for us a few moment, moments ago, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, for a lot of reasons. But, but one, as far as I can see, it's the only place you'll find in scripture where the disciples ask Jesus to teach them something. Now, the disciples have been with Jesus for about two years by this point. And it's interesting to me that they don't say, Lord, teach us to preach. They'd heard Jesus preach. And they sat there spellbound as Jesus told these amazing kingdom stories. It's fascinating that they don't say, Lord, teach us to lead. I mean, Jesus was the greatest leader to ever walk the planet, yet they didn't ask that. They didn't say, Lord, would you teach us to minister? They watched Jesus as he healed the sick and as he opened blind eyes, as he had this incredible compassion on everyone with whom he came in contact, yet they didn't say, Lord, teach us to minister. What they wanted to know from Jesus, what they wanted him to teach them was about prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus responds by, by teaching them this prayer that we find in Luke chapter 11, verse um, 2 and following, really, that we, we normally call this the Lord's Prayer. But really, I think this prayer is misnamed. Because if you think about it, this is a prayer that Jesus himself would not have ever prayed. Embedded in this prayer is the line, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Jesus never committed sin. Never had need to pray that prayer. And so really, this prayer could be better labeled the disciples' prayer. Or maybe we could call it the model prayer. Because what Jesus does here is he gives us a, a template for our, our praying. Much like a preacher has, has notes, and, and he sort of works off those notes as he's preaching, so this, this prayer that we find here is, it's like the cliff notes for prayer. It's like the outline for the kind of praying that Jesus is teaching his disciples and as jesus begins to teach them he uses a word that we talked about last sunday morning it's a, a warm powerful emotional word the first thing that jesus says as he teaches us to pray is we should pray father and immediately we begin to understand that prayer 
it's about a relationship. A relationship between a father and his children. You may remember when Jesus was baptized, the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove, and then the father spoke to his son when he's coming up out of the water, and, and God said to Jesus, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And then in a similar way, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, six, in verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Part of the mission of the Holy Spirit is to remind us of God's deep affection for us, God's deep love for us. God takes great delight in us, much like he takes great delight in the sun when the sun's coming up out of the, the water of baptism and, and, and God speaks these beautiful words to him. And because we've been adopted into his family, God's family, because we are now sons and daughters of God, because of that, <clears throat> we have this wonderfully intimate relationship with God. <clears throat> and Paul teaches us that we cry, Abba, Father. You've probably heard before in other messages that that word Abba is an Aramaic word. The Bible is written in basically two languages with some Aramaic sprinkled through it. You've got the Old Testament written primarily in Hebrew, the New Testament in, in Greek. But the language of Jesus was Aramaic. And you have these Aramaic words and phrases sprinkled through your New Testament. And one of those is this word Abba. And it basically means Papa, Daddy. This would have probably been amazing to those Hebrews as they, as they heard Jesus talking about his relationship with, with the Father. Or as Paul describes the relationship we can have with the Father now, as this word Abba is used. We can come into the presence of God, and it's such a warm and intimate thing that we can cry out to him, our hearts cry out to him, Abba, Father. You see, at its heart, prayer is about a relationship with a Father. You see, we all need our daddy. When we moved to Lebanon from Albuquerque uh, about 10 years ago, back in 2008, uh, we, it took us a year to sell our house. You may recall that in 2008, that was a pretty tough year for us as a country. I mean, it was a, a financial crisis that, that came upon us, and it was just the absolute wrong time to try to sell a house, and we were trying to sell our house 2008. So that house in Albuquerque sat empty for a year, but in 2009, we were able to sell our house. And because we weren't on location, we never met the people who, who bought our home, our our. Our realtors negotiated the deal. They communicate with us via email. We, we signed the papers. We sold the house. And this family assumed ownership, moved into this house. One of the things about this new family uh, is they were, they were going through the attic, and it was empty, of course, but they, but they found a picture. Uh, it was a picture of a, of a family with three little boys. Now, this family had heard about our story. They had heard about how my first wife had struggled with cancer for a year, and at the end of that, that battle, actually less than a year, and at the end of that battle, she'd passed away, and then I was raising three boys on my own. They'd heard all about that, so when they're in my attic, former attic, and they find this picture of a man and husband and wife with three small kids, what do you think they assumed? They thought, ah, oh, this is the Owen family. And because they were Christ followers, because they were men and women who loved Jesus, they took that picture and they put it on their refrigerator with a magnet and they began praying for us. 
praying for that family every day, praying for the transition and, and, and praying that everything would go well. Well, about six months after they assumed ownership of the house, um, we connected, interestingly, we connected through Facebook. And when Rochelle, the lady who's, who owned the house and her husband, when Rochelle saw my picture and the picture of my boys, she realized we didn't look a lot like the folks that was on her refrigerator. And so uh, we had a, a neighbor uh, who also went to church with us back in Albuquerque that she becomes friends, became friends with. And so she, she took the picture over to the neighbor and she said, look, who, who is this? We thought it was the Owens. We've been praying with, for them for the last six months. Who is this? And the neighbor laughed and smiled and said, well, that's Kevin's sister and brother-in-law and their three boys. So when I found out this story, we laughed about it a little bit. I called my sister and told her about it. And, and, I, and I said to my sister, Kay, no, no wonder your life has been going so well. You got all the blessings that were meant for us. They've been praying for you all these months. You see, sometimes we think that's how prayer works. Sometimes we think it's like magic. Uh, like prayers, we have to know the right technique or the right words or have everything just right. We might think in our minds it's about somehow tricking God into giving us a blessing. We have to know the secret to prayer. In fact, you'll hear some preachers sometimes who will talk about that, the secret to praying. But it's not like that. Prayer is not magic. No, prayer is a relationship. When Jesus teaches us to pray, the first thing he does is tell us we're speaking to someone who takes great delight in us. He is our father, our papa, our daddy. And Jesus in this prayer, in, in Luke 11's version of the model prayer, the disciples' prayer, it's a shorter, truncated version of the prayer that's found also in the, in, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 6. But here, Jesus then, then describes what the father is like. Father, he says, hallowed be your name this father's name is holy this father's name is hallowed now i've told you before there's a vast difference between names in the in our uh current world and in, in the modern world and the ancient world in the ancient world names carry deep significance for us you know we have a baby and we like how the name kurt sounds man we're gonna name him kurt or, or maybe there's a great grandfather down you know down the way we kind of like we're let's name him after you know, the great-grandfather, or, or maybe, you know, maybe we just, it's a name that's kind of cool, and, you know, and we've looked in the baby book, and, and it's kind of popular, and so we name our kids. I mean, maybe some of us think more deeply about it than, than that, but, but not all the time. Name, it's just, it's just a na name a lot of times. In the ancient world, it was different. I think I've told you before about my friend uh, Aaron Loney. Uh, Aaron worked with me in, in New Mexico. He was our youth minister, and he had a brother named Jordan. And in the 90s, you may recall, Bo Jackson was all the rage. I mean, in, in the 90s, you know, Bo Jackson is this guy who played uh, football and baseball for Auburn University. And then after he graduates college, he plays professional baseball and football. He was one of those rare talents that could play both. So Jordan was enamored with, uh, with Bo. And so he decides he wants to change his name. And so one day he goes into the bedroom where his mom and dad were, and he proudly said to them, uh, Mom, Dad, uh, I know you name me Jordan. It's a great name. But from now on, you just, just call me Bo. I'm, I'm changing my name 
from here on out, just when you, I'm, I want to be known as, as Bo. I like that name. And so the mom said, okay, son, that sounds good to us, you know, Bo. It's kind of got a nice ring to it when you think about it. Bo-loney, Bo-loney, Bo-loney. Yeah, it's a great, son, it's a great, yeah, you're on to something good here, boy. We think this is a great thing. Bo-loney, yeah, that's what we'll call you from here on out. But parents have to think about names. But when Jesus is teaching us to pray, our Father, he says, Father, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. You can think about the most loving Father you've ever known, the most compassionate Father you've ever heard about. You can think about the most joyful dad, the most engaged dad. You can think about a father like that, and I want you to know that father doesn't compare to the father who is holy. Hallowed, he teaches us to pray. Hallowed be your name. Prayer gives us the opportunity to speak and to draw close and to seek this amazing father. And so we first talk to the Father about His person, but then we talk to the Father about His plans. The heart of this prayer, as we come to understand what it means to seek God, the heart of this prayer comes next, where Jesus teaches us to say and teaches us to pray, Your kingdom come. Those three words are deeply significant. You see, when we seek God, we're seeking His kingdom. We have an interest in God's reign and God's rule. When we seek God, we're seeking those things that are on God's heart, those things that God is concerned with. Those three words, your kingdom come, should help form and shape the narrative of our prayers. But I think a lot of times there's confusion about what the idea of the kingdom is. And so some think, well, when we speak of the kingdom... What Jesus is talking about here is the church. The kingdom and the church are the same. If Jesus was teaching us to pray that the church would come, this prayer would have a very short shelf life because we know that happened in Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, the church came into existence. So I think that's not really Jesus' point here. Others, when they hear the word kingdom, they think of it in terms of, well, it's it's heaven itself. It's, It's the kingdom of heaven. And so this this prayer becomes kind of escapist. What Jesus is teaching us to pray is, God, I pray that heaven would come so we could escape out of this horrible, broken world. I don't think that's Jesus' point either. Jesus is teaching us heaven is not so much up there, but heaven comes down here. Jesus is teaching us that that the kingdom is the inbreaking of God. It's in the kingdom that we get a glimpse of of how things are meant to be. Oh, a lot of times in this world, I I know things are broken, and I know there's disunity, and I know a lot of times there's sickness and disease and death and all of that, but there are those moments when the kingdom breaks in, and for just a second we see, oh, oh yeah, this is what life is is meant to be like, and it gives us a glimpse of what we're going to experience in eternity when Jesus comes back and he sets everything right. And so at the beginning of New Year's, I I like for us to reflect for just a moment or two about the past year. I I like for us to look back. As I said in my opening remarks, you know, we don't do enough celebrating. Great things happen in the life of churches, and churches just move right on to the next year, and we don't think enough and celebrate enough. 
But this past year, I saw evidence of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God everywhere. How did we experience the kingdom of God? We experienced it in profound ways. Did you realize last year this church sent 700 Magi boxes to Honduras? 400 of those, of those Magi boxes were packed by our own children. They had an opportunity to, to come together and to put together these little shoe boxes, these shoe boxes that are full of, of Christmas kinds of items. And then, and then uh, we gave those to Healing Hands, and Healing Hands took them down to Honduras, and they had the opportunity, they had the opportunity to give these precious little Honduran kids, these kids from third world countries that don't have a lot, they got to have some Christmas. I, I think that's the kingdom of God breaking in. Because you see, I think God has a concern for precious little children in third world countries who may not have some of the things we so often take for granted. We're involved in digging wells with our partnership through healing hands. I think God's people bringing water to thirsty people, that's the inbreaking reign of God. God intends, you see, for people to have clean drinking waters. Or how about partnering with, with Baja Missions to plant churches and to support uh, missionaries. This past year, and I, and I realize a lot of times we think about, you know, what's going on there, and, and we pray about what's going on there, but, but 66 people from this church got to experience what was going on there. 66 of our people went on a short-term mission trip to do vacation Bible school, uh, to preach and teach and minister to people. They got to experience the in-breaking kingdom of God. They got to see what, what life's really like, how God intends for it to be. But not only were we involved in kingdom-building enterprises other places, we got to see the kingdom of God coming right here. 30 of our people were involved in a Habitat for Humanity faith build. You see, I think God is interested in, in helping people have affordable and clean housing. It's something that God would have us do, and so we were involved in that. Or how about when we handed out over 800 backpacks and tons of school supplies through school store? I mean, that's just amazing. This room's filled up with, with people. The room's filled up with, with these men and women and these, with their little kids as they're getting ready to start school, and, and we got to be involved in that. And the amazing thing is, as you know, when you serve somebody else, you really get the blessing. It fills your heart up with joy. And we experience the kingdom of God. This year we added camp. We hadn't been doing camp in a while. Fifteen students were baptized. Fifteen students were baptized either at camp or impact. That's a picture of the, the kingdom of God as we see these young people being translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. 101 people were baptized through our ministries. 70 through World Bible School, 30 through our local ministry. And each time someone comes up out of the waters of baptism, it's like if we listen closely enough, we'll hear the father saying, this is my son, this is my daughter with her. I'm well pleased. Last year, this room was filled with people, with school kids and community leaders. It's really quite an amazing thing when you think about it. We had community leaders. We had both mayors. Uh, we had uh, superintendent of schools. Uh, we had the principals of all most of the schools, tons of teachers. And what were they doing? They were coming together in this place week before school started in August for the sole reason of praying for our kids 
praying that God would bless them, praying for their safety, praying that they would experience the inbreaking kingdom of God. And I could go on and on with stories and pictures. I, I could talk about Hearn House, and I could talk about Compassionate Hands. I could describe the wonderful things going on at Hearthside. And then I could talk to you about generosity. The thing I know about the kingdom of God is that when, when men and women come together and, and they give, and they give deeply, and they give sacrificially, and they give passionately, that's, that's evidence of the kingdom of of God. I was at another church a few years ago, and I'll never forget, the preacher got, gets up and he says, okay, it's time, it's time for our contribution. And then I, I promise you, the people started going, woo! I mean, there was all kinds of cheering, and I thought, what, what do they, they do? What's, what's going on here? They're going to pass baskets. They're pa- what, what, why, are they, why are they doing that? It's because they know your greatest joy comes when you give to bless and they know that's what happens. And every Lord's Day, we did that this past year. And we averaged this last year $27,723 toward our operating budget. I mean, we were, we were that, that, that close to, to meeting budgets. And we exceeded our vision offering budget. Four times a year last year, we gave over $84,513 so we can bless not only people here, but, but bless people all over the world. The kingdom of God breaks in when men and women with generous and open hearts come together to serve the Lord. So now that we've looked back for a moment, let's take just a moment, just a couple of minutes, and I want us to look forward. I want us to think about this year, 2019. This year, our our new weekly budget is 28,391. That's a a slight, slight increase. I'm not sure what the percentage increase is. You can figure that out, but it's a, it's a slight increase, especially when you think about a church our size. Our vision offering goal this year is $87,225. Again, that's a, that's a modest increase. We're beginning our year praying for God's kingdom to come. And so over the next four, five, six weeks, we're going to really focus on prayer. We're focusing on prayer to begin the year. I'm doing this message series preparing us for this moment when we together as God's people will pray for our community. We believe that prayer is the real work and ministry is the result. Would you, let me say that again. Prayer is the real work and ministry is the result. A lot of times we think about ministry is the work. I want to tell you, prayer is the work. We pray and then ministry is the result. We see that in the life of Jesus. And so we're beginning our year by focusing on prayer. And so we're joining with well over 300 churches all over the metropolitan Nashville area to pray and fast for every single person in Davidson County, Wilson County, um, and other Sumner County, I think, other counties. But we're specifically going to pray and fast for all the people in Wilson County. And in my dream, my dream is that 500 of us will take this challenge. 500. We have 11, 1,200 people on a roll. My dream is that 500 of us. There'll be packets in the very back, these, these um, packets filled with some um, materials for you. We'll begin praying the last Sunday of this month, September or uh, January the, the 27th. I'll tell you a little bit more about that, uh, what we're asking you to do specifically in, in just a minute. 
But this year we're, we're focusing on prayer, but this year we're also focusing on our marriages. Fifty families have signed up to be part of Grace Marriage, which will begin at the end of this month. We're praying that God's reign, that God's kingdom will come to our, our marriages. We don't want our marriages to merely survive. No, we want our marriages to thrive. And Johnny Markham and his team have put together a, a, marvelous, a marvelous emphasis on marriage this year. This year, not only are we focusing on prayer, and we're focusing on uh, our marriages. This year, we're focusing on expanding our reach. You see, the church is the one organization in the world that does not exclusively exist for the benefit of itself. We're an outreaching group. We want to expand our reach, and we want to do this in several ways. First, we want to improve our foyer. We want to make, uh, we're going to work to make it even more hospitable. Joe Smith and her team are doing an awesome job to help this become a reality. You're already starting to see a few changes in that physical space, and you'll see some more. We want to be hospitable because, you see, we believe God himself is hospitable. We want to improve our children's area. We want to continue our focus on our kids. We have a long, wonderful history of staffing our children's ministry and focusing on our children's ministry. Hope Samson is bringing a lot of energy and ton of creativity to our children's ministry area. At some point, you'll see some changes to this physical space in the children's area. We're expanding our reach by staffing according to our mission. This year as we seek the kingdom, we desire to add a person to our staff that will be in charge of dynamic worship. He'll have oversight of what happens from parking lot, as we say, to parking lot. From the time people get out of their cars until the time they get back in their cars and head out to lunch. This person will be tasked to manage our worship assemblies. Certainly, he will be one of our worship leaders, but he will be so much more. Uh, make most, no mistake, we have great song leaders. Chris and Barry and Curry do a fine job. But they would be the first to tell you that there's no time in their schedules to recruit, train, oversee all the volunteers for our worship gatherings. Did you realize that every Sunday morning we come together to worship, there are over 100 volunteers that staff our various services from greeters and worship leaders and praise team members and people who hand out bulletins and people who serve communion and people who work in the back and on and on it goes. This person will be in charge of all the technical details for our services, including the audio and the video and the visual and the lighting aspects of both of our services. This person will have time to develop certain ministries that we don't currently have the, have the manpower to develop, like choral groups or a children's chorus or drama groups. He will write and develop outreach services like Christmas Eve and Easter and, and, and others. This person will be a leader of leaders, seeking to expand the base of our worship ministry, not shrink it. This will be our key leader who will evaluate our assemblies and ask the question, how can our services be even more inspiring and more dynamic and more theologically sound? This is a significant role that we think will help us as we seek to expand our reach even further. God has blessed us this past year. And I know he's going to bless us in 2019 as together we seek the Lord through prayer. As we come together praying, Father, your kingdom come. Now I want to remind you as I end this message of something that you already know. 
The most important thing in the world, you see, is not your job. It's not your finances. It's not your favorite football team. It's not even your family. The most important thing in the world is not your husband, it's not your wife, it's not your girlfriend or boyfriend, it's not your kids. The most important thing in your world, the most important thing is your personal, intimate relationship with the Lord. And that is nurtured through prayer. Jesus teaches us, ask, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find knock and the door will be open to you.